Good morning, good morning. Wow, that was quick. Great to see you guys this morning. I want to welcome you to Gateway Baptist Church. For those watching us online, we want to welcome you as well. For those visiting with us, maybe for the first time, we're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, we've got a good bit of announcements today, a little unusual, but we've got a lot going on and coming up in the life of our church. So uh, just hang in there with me for a little bit, um, and then we'll have a time uh, for call to worship and then get a time of praise. So uh, just a, another reminder, VBS is happening. Uh, Vacation Bible School is happening as we speak over in the gymnasium. It's not too late for your kids to get over there if they want to, from preschool to fifth grade. Uh, you can go down the hall here and register them down in the kids' center, and then uh, they have another bunch of crafts and Bible studies and snacks and all kinds of things going on through our church service. Well, happening for two more weeks. They start around 9 a.m. for the full service. So we just want to encourage you if you want your kids to participate um, to try to get them in then. And we have some great Sunday morning Bible studies for the adults that you can participate in as well. Uh, for members, members of Gateway, very important uh, announcement here. We have a special business meeting directly after the church, following church, right at the conclusion. Um, we are going to approve and vote on two unanimous recommendations from the elders. Number one, to approve a new job description for the position of music minister. And number two, to call Mr. Justin Taylor uh, to that role, to serve in that role. And so we just want to ask all the members who have children immediately after the service, <laughs> if you can kind of kick into another little mode. Uh, to go get your children quickly uh, because we have many members that are helping with child care and VBS and all those sorts of things that we need to get them over here as well. So if you can get your children quickly um, right after the service at about five minutes to come back over here in the sanctuary and we'll be able to have a brief uh, business meeting to vote on that. For any guests, visitors, regular tenders, we just ask you help us in a way that you can fellowship down the hall in here in the air conditioning or if you'd like to go outside under the trees um, just to help us expedite that and to get the voting and the, the meeting started a little more quickly. Also today at 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary, it's our every other week prayer time that we gather here at 4 p.m. to pray for our church, pray things going on in our community. So that will be at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Now, a few things coming up, several upcoming events we want you to be aware of. All of these will be on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. Uh, starting tomorrow, you can check the blog. First off, in two weeks, we have another Discover Gateway class. For those of you that have been visiting, uh, been regular attender, and you want to get to know a little bit more about who we are, our DNA, our governance, our vision, things about the Gateway, this is a wonderful time. It's a lunch right after the church service. It will be August 8th. It's at Pastor Grady and Julia's house, and get to enjoy a wonderful meal, get to talk with some of our elders, get to know some of our staff and leadership, and then spend some time together just getting to know who we are um, as a church fellowship. Also, Tuesday, August 10th, 6 p.m., it's a men's cookout at Pastor's Grady House as well. Boy, you're going to be busy this next few weeks. Break out the grill. So uh, we have a men's cookout August 10th, 6 p.m. at Pastor Grady's house. August 11th, we're very excited. We get to do this. I think it's maybe the fourth year, third or fourth year. Um, Wednesday night, August 11th, we have another service project where we get to bless Capitol Heights Middle School. We get to go over there in the evening. Uh, spread out some pine straw, do some yard maintenance, pick up trash, do some prayer through the school. Um, Seth and Megan Rodebeck have been leading a team for years, built a great relationship with Principal Harrison there. We've adopted that school and many of the families. So we will have a service night to serve uh, that school. We'll get you more information, but that's Wednesday night, August 11th. 
coming down the home stretch. Am I real excited about this? Wednesday evening, August 18th, we are kicking back into our fall schedule for Wednesday nights. Very excited about this. Kids club, youth group, men and women's Bible studies, life groups will kick back in. We'll get you more information on what will be available, but we're very excited Wednesday, August 18th, to start our fall schedule with that. And lastly, I know it's way out there. This is happening in early October, uh, but this is for the ladies. There is going to be a Nancy Lee DeMoss conference for ladies in early October that we need some feedback. I mean, the ladies should have already received an email uh, about the opportunity to participate with this. And what they need feedback on, like a poll, is whether you want to experience it through live stream um, here somewhere on the campus or go somewhere like a retreat to a place away from here to get together as ladies and watch the live stream there. So please respond. Let the office know. Missy Cruz, who's helping over in the BBS, you can let her know. Um, but we want to just get some feedback from the ladies to see what would be best for you. Whew, that's it. So let us stand. Let us pause a moment as we prepare our hearts to worship our Lord. Lord, we do just take a pause, a sila. Lord, after reading that list, God, is just we're so grateful for what you're doing here in this place, on this campus. God, we recognize, Lord Jesus, that you are the chief shepherd. You are in control. You are Lord of this place. And we thank you for all these opportunities that you've given us for community, for fellowship, for discipleship, to get to know each other and to get to know you better. Just thank you so much for what you're doing here. We continue to recognize your providence, your sovereignty in this place, being in control of all things, visiting us here, delighting in worship and praise, delighting in your word being spoken. We just want to take a moment, God, to worship you, to lift up praise, and honor, and glory to the one who is worthy. So Holy Spirit, come. We know you're here, but we ask you, Holy Spirit, to manifest your power and your presence in this place. Many of us come in here with a lot of baggage and pain and sorrow and trials and things we've gone through this week. And we are here to say, Lord, despite all those things, you are good, you are faithful, you are just, you are loving, you are kind, and you are worthy of our praise. And Lord, as this morning as we're going to have the, the beauty and the honor to, to see your gospel manifested in so many ways with the baptism this morning, we're going to get the experience from Madison and her confession of faith, God, how exciting that is. And as we're going to sing the gospel and hear the gospel, we just thank you, God, that we get to be in the midst of the king of the universe. We just praise you so much. And Lord, we want to declare as we begin the gospel this morning in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God the Father made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt 
consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Let's worship the one who brought us from death to life. Alone in my sorrow, dead in my sin, lost without hope, and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested. was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, Oh, your queen. 
promises shall last, bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, has been satisfied he will hold me fast raise with him to endless life he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sign when he comes at Father, we thank you for that precious truth we've just sung. That you are holding us and that you are steadying us and that we are in your hands and no one can take us out of your hands. Thank you that we get to rejoice in the gospel and song. Thank you we now get to rejoice in it and sing baptism. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Gateway. You may be seated. We get to celebrate baptism this morning. This is a special time in the life of... Those are his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Gateway, we get to celebrate another baptism this morning. Baptism is a symbol, it's a sign of one's profession of faith in Christ. There's nothing magical about these waters. There's nothing holy or blessed about these waters. This is a symbol, a public confession of faith that someone has followed Christ. Now, why do we do baptism the way we do it? Because we believe there's an important symbol, an important 
image here. That we believe that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, and He was buried, and on the third day He rose from the dead. And the baptism, as we immerse someone to water, is a symbol of that, of saying, I believe that Christ died for my sins according to Scripture, that He was raised on the third day. But more than that as well, in addition to that, I should say, it's also a confession of saying, by God's grace, I'm changed. Because I'm believing in Christ, He's transforming me and He's changing me. So it's a symbol as well of I'm dying to my old ways of life, and I'm coming up to walk in newness of life in Christ. Not because of anything I can do, as we'll see later on in Romans 3 this morning, but because of God's grace at work in my life. So that's what this is, a profession of faith. It's the way a person publicly identifies that I am a child of God. I've received God's grace, and God's grace is changing me. It's also us as a church saying we affirm what we see God is doing in your life, and we're welcoming you into membership in the body through your profession of faith in Christ and baptism. Now this morning we get Madison Corey here. This is her dad, Scott Corey, in the baptistry tank with her here. And so we get a chance to hear her testimony of God's grace at work in her life before she's baptized. We'll also give a few of you a chance to say a word as well. But we'll turn it over to you guys and let's hear your story of God's grace. Fully Christian home. Uh, Both my parents were uh, first generation Christians. So I'd kind of like been raised in the church and that sort of thing. Um, whenever I was seven years old, my mom and I were sitting on the couch and we were watching the series Left Behind. And so it's obviously kind of nerve-wracking to see a bunch of people vanish off the earth. So I realized I did not want to be one of those people that were left behind. So I told my mom and I said, um, I don't want to be left behind on the earth whenever that happens. She said, okay, well, we can, I can help you. She talked me through it. Um, obviously I was seven, so it kind of is like, is a very little foundation of, what I understood and was able to understand. Um, So years later, my mom and I were also in the parking lot, like the day before Thanksgiving, and she had the conversation. She was like, so how do you know you're a Christian? I was like, oh, I don't really know. I I couldn't really answer her question, so uh, we kind of talked through it, and so I decided that I wanted to um, recommit my life to Christ and take it seriously and um, try to live a God-fearing life and what I could at 12 years old. Um, so obviously you still mess up and you still, that's something I realized down the road is that just because you're a Christian, it doesn't make you, you know, all your problems go away or anything like that. You still have problems and still things come up and, uh, but the difference is you just have God in your life now. Um, and so I did, oh, sorry, I forgot. Um, so I did get baptized before I decided to recommit my life, but, um, my two older sisters had done it and so... I did it like the week after and they were talking to me and they kind of did a good job at guiding you through the process that you're doing. You're like, so why do you want to become a Christian or why do you want to get baptized? And so, you know, I said the right answer of, you know, I just want to show everybody a Christian, but really I was doing it because my siblings had done it. So that's why I, um, years down the road, I've just been thinking about it and talking uh, like briefly with my parents about getting um, re-baptized to make it um, like a real statement, take it seriously. Um, But with that kind of came the pressure on myself of because I didn't take it seriously the first time, I wanted to make sure I took it seriously this time. Um, So we kind of talked with um, Pastor Grady about setting a date. He's like, okay, pick a date. Um, And this was something I told my parents later on, but I was very, I took a long time with the date. I was like, oh, let's take my time. Um, So I finally, he, um, we were at church and he was like, okay, you have to pick a date. I was like, okay, now I have to pick a date. So I picked a date, it was today, and so, um, but with that, it was, 
like three weeks ago, so I was like, okay, I have three weeks to get my life together, and then I'll do this. And so, so I kind of uh, started doing like a checklist mentally of like what I need to work on. I was like, okay, I need to work on this, I need to work on this, I need to work on this, all before the 25th. So, um, and I kind of realized I had that pressure on myself, um, but I just didn't uh, do anything about it. So, as I go to the college group with um, Seth and Megan, and um, that week he had actually preached, and at the end he was talking about, um, I just remember it sticking out, he was talking about like not having to um, work on yourself and doing it out of your energy and out of your um, effort and letting God do that and just taking a rest, taking a step back and allow him to work through you. And so that was just a big sigh of relief because I was like, okay, I don't have to get my whole life together before this date. <laughs> so, um, and then just uh, talking with Megan and she was able to just pray for my, um, my peace as I came forward with this. And so obviously still, even now at 20 years old, I still have my life together, but that's okay. And so we're just working. I'm continually daily testimony. You're always mm -hmm. learning something daily and um, realizing something about yourself and something about God. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for sharing that, Madison. We are so thankful for God's grace and work in your life to realize that you can't do it and you don't have to do it. It's all been done by Christ, and we rejoice in that. But we want to give a few of you a chance to say a word of encouragement to her. So I see. <laughs> Madison's one of the few uh, younger folks in our Sunday school class. Madison, it's been a pleasure having you in the class with, with the rest of your family. And, and actually, what Megan read is what I was going to read. <laughs> it's okay, and I so can hear it twice. There's obviously a word word there for you. Uh, I just want to encourage you to continue to walk faithfully with the Lord and, and really to walk in His grace. That's what you're just describing, is, is resting in His grace as you
Since I'm in God's house, I keep it. I keep it on a narrow path. Uh, I do want to encourage you, Madison, just to seek truth from God's word, uh, and uh, to seek truth uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so don't let the world define what the Bible says, but let the Holy Spirit, through you, define truth. Because uh, so many young people are being led away by the world. Let the Bible, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Truth in the Word. Just remember that. Amen. Amen. Great challenge for us. Okay, well, Scott, is all right. you get the final word. All right. Well, Madison, you. I am, your mom and I, family, the gathering are so proud of you um, for doing this and taking the leap of faith and, and, and stepping out there and, and, and um, dedicating your life to Christ. And so, as you in your testimony, you talked about um, a checklist. This spiritual walk is not a checklist. We don't have to be perfect. Um, but as Pastor Grady talked about last week in his sermon, we are to live a transformed life. That's all that we're asked to do is live a transformed life. And I think we, we see that evidence in your life and, and your mother and your family and I are so proud of you doing that. And then lastly, um, Pastor Grady challenged us with a question last week. Are we going to follow the, the pathways of Adam or are we going to follow the pathways of Christ? And I am so proud that you have so chosen the pathway of Christ um, throughout your life. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm, as your dad, I'm really proud to to baptize you this morning so i have one question for you so are you trusting in jesus alone as lord and savior of your life yes. all right well based on your profession madison um i i baptize you in the name of the father son and the holy spirit
Rick's going to do my oldest injury to the Let's pray. Father, there's no greater joy as a parent than to see your children following you. This is such a blessing. This is such an encouragement. We thank you for the truths we've sung this morning. We thank you for witnessing Madison's public testimony of her union with Christ and the church. And we rejoice this morning in your goodness and faithfulness to your people, whom you have called and redeemed as your own. Your sovereign grace guards and keep our hearts, Lord. Lord, this morning we pray for the Gateway College ministry, and right here we have an example of how you're using that ministry. Thank you for these young men and women, and I pray, Lord, that they would grow in their faith and their love for you. I pray that the word of God would be in their hearts and in their lives, Lord, that they would be in your word, reading it, studying it, and hiding those truths in their life. Lord, we live in a world that is constantly pulling at our hearts and distracting us, and I pray that you give them discernment and wisdom as they navigate the future and that they would love you with all their hearts. Lord, I just, I just prom, I pray for, for Seth and Megan as they lead. Give them wisdom. Um, Lord, give them grace as they disciple and teach your word. I pray that you would just continue to bless that ministry and that we would see much fruit out of it, Lord. Thank you for the Gateway VBS that's going on right now. We pray for the children there and that they would grow in their faith and understanding of the word as well. Pray for the, uh, the teachers that you give them grace to, to lead and disciple and to care for these young people. Lord, we would love to see another generation raised up in this church to go forth and do your work. Father, we also want to pray this morning for Strong Tower and parent, uh, Pastor Terrence Jones. Just pray for him and his ministry. I pray, Lord, that you would allow him to see much fruit as they minister there in West Montgomery. Lord, I just pray for him that you give him wisdom as he shepherds and leads that congregation. And that out of that congregation, many, Lord, would follow you, trust you, be used by you, be equipped by you to do the ministry and uh, in the areas that they're called to. Lord, we pray this morning for missions. We pray for the IMB Tokyo team as they minister to athletes over these next two weeks. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would use them in a great and mighty way. Um, that, Lord, these athletes who many may not know you, that, God, you would open up doors to share the good news of Christ. And, uh, Lord, we just pray for that team, that you would bless, protect, and keep them. Lord, as we give this morning, I pray that you would use our offerings to, to glorify you and that we would use it to, to expand this ministry and use this ministry. We thank you, Lord, that we can give back to you, that it all belongs to you ultimately. And, Lord, this morning, as we hear from your word, we pray for Pastor Grady. God, that you would give him grace to communicate your truth and that, Lord, you would fill him with your spirit. Lord, I pray also for us as listeners, God, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. Lord, I pray that you would do the work to equip us to do the work of ministry and to grow in our love for you. May we not leave here having not been changed or have, have heard something, Lord, that would prick our heart or heard something this morning to give us a greater affection for you, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for this morning. Lord, we commit it to you, and may you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thanks, Rick. We'll find Romans chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word. Romans chapter 3. We'll spend one more week in this amazing letter is where, that Paul wrote to help the early believers understand the gospel. We're in the middle of a journey of seeking to be rooted and grounded and what we believe, and better know the scriptures, better understand what we believe from 
the scriptures. Now, as we do this, we're looking at different sections of the study of being rooted. And for the last three months, we've been in a section on the law, on the commandments of God. We began this way back in May with the question of what does the law of God require? If you think all the way back to May, that seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Back at the beginning of May, we saw that God's standard from the law was perfect and perpetual obedience, that we were to have perfect and perpetual obedience all the way to our thoughts and our motivations. We then explored what that looked like in the Ten Commandments. We saw the scope of these commands, this amazing summary of the law, and we saw how far short we fall in fulfilling what the Ten Commandments call to us and how much conviction there is even in looking at the Ten Commandments. That led us to the question a few weeks ago, can anyone perfectly keep the law? Okay, here's the easy question for the morning. Do you remember the answer? Can anyone keep the law? No, none of us can perfectly and perpetually keep the law. Rather, we saw we consistently break the law in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. We break it in our motivation. And so last week, went even deeper into that question. Did God make us this way? Did God make us unable to keep the law? And we saw last week, last week that God did not make us that way, but He made Adam and Eve perfect. But when sin came into the world, when they made the choice to disobey, all of us now, since and have been born with this inherent guilt, with this inherent corruption and sin nature. Hence, we're all born under sin. We're now all born enslaved to sin. Therefore, we cannot help but sin. We cannot help but break the law. So that leads to our final question in the study of the law this morning, and it's this. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? God gave us the law, but we can't keep it. So why did God give us the law if we can't keep it? Why did He give us something that He knew was impossible for us today to keep because sin was in the world, because we were born under sin. So we're going to find our answer today in Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 20 to 23 for that. So I could ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Be looking for as we read, why did God give the law? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. You also have the words on the screen. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we've already worshipped to you this morning, for the opportunity you've given us to sing your praises and be reminded of the gospel in the songs that we've sung, to be reminded of the gospel in this powerful symbol of baptism. And now, once again, as we look at the gospel in your word in Romans 3, I pray your word would come alive to us this morning, Lord, as we think about why the law was given, that you'd use this, Lord, to teach us and instruct us and to shape us and ultimately, Lord, to transform us, that we might be more who you desire us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So what is the purpose of the law? Here's what I want you to see from Romans 3 this morning. God gave us the law to keep before us our desperate need for a Savior. So why did God give us the law? He gave us the law to keep before us each day our desperate need for a Savior. Friends, that means the law is a gift. The law is an amazing gift. It is the revelation of God, but it's the revelation of God that came with a very specific purpose. It was not given to us by God to help us know how to get to God, because we've already seen we can't get to God through the law, but rather it was a gift from God to us to show us our inability to get to God on our own, to show us our need for a Savior. The law keeps before us our need for a Savior and points us to the only hope that we can find. I want you to see that in Romans chapter 3 this morning. Now, for Paul to make his point here in Romans 3, he begins by showing us what the law cannot do. So the foundation of what we're going to see this morning is what the law is incapable of doing. So go back to Romans 3 and look at verse 20. Notice the first phrase here. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified 
in his sight. Now, what in the world does that mean? By works of the law, this means obeying the law, seeking to do what the law requires. So in other words, our efforts at striving, through us striving to obey the law, through our efforts at doing the works of the law, he says, no human being. And that word no human being is kind of a soft translation. It really says no flesh. Paul's trying to make the point here that there's no one living, no one who has lived, who is able to do what the law requires, who is able to do the works of the law. And what is it that, by not doing the works of the law, what is it we'll never be able to gain? And notice that very next phrase there. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Now, justification is an important term in Scripture. To be justified is when a guilty person is declared not guilty. A person who's done wrong is declared righteous. And so what this is telling us is that we will never be able to, by God, be declared not guilty, be declared righteous through our own efforts. We'll never be able to just be justified because we've tried to obey the law. Let's look at it perhaps another way. Think about it this way. No one, if they ever stand before God and God says, why should I let you into heaven? No one's going to be able to look at God and say, because I'm such a good person, God, come on, why are you asking that? Like, we're not going to be able to say that to God. We're not going to ever be able to stand before God and say, God, I'm okay. We look, I tried so hard not to hate others and to not hurt others. I tried so hard to work and be generous. And look, I supported missionaries. I took a day to rest God. I did all these things. Come on, I'm okay. None of us will ever be able to say that. Why? Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We are unable to keep the law. Why? Go down to verse 23, that simple verse we hear a lot. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. None of us are able to keep the law of God. I love how Paul describes this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. In Galatians 3, he says something very similar. He says, For all who rely on works of the law. Now, what does he mean? Relying on works of the law to get to God. The people think, I'm going to obey and be moral and be a good person. I can get to God. And who thinks they can rely on the works of the law? They're under a what? A curse. So the people think, I'm okay because I'm moral. He says, No, you're actually not okay. You're under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. As we've seen week after week in our study of the law, none of us are able to do all things. We consistently break the law of God. So the law can never get us to God. The law keeps us under a curse because we're guilty before God because we have all broken it. Now, if that's the case, that leads to our next question. Is the law bad? We're not able to keep the law. The law puts us under a curse. So is the law a bad thing? And the answer is no. In fact, the law is very, very good if we understand its purpose. Now, what is its purpose? Go back to verse 20 of Romans 3, and it tells us in the next phrase. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Now, here we go. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the law has a very specific God-given purpose, and that is to give us knowledge of of something. Now, the word knowledge here is, is not just the word for knowing something, for intellectual curiosity. The word for knowledge here is the word used in Scripture to mean deep, intimate, personal knowledge of something. So don't miss this. What the law does for us is it gives us a very deep, a very personal knowledge of something. And it's of what? It's of our own sin. Now, it doesn't give us a knowledge of other people's sin. We're not using the law here to be like, oh, look at how bad they are and how good I am. That's not the point of the law. The point of the law was to give us a deep, intimate, personal knowledge of our own sin, our own rebellion against God, our own disobedience. So in God's very good plan, he gives us the law as a gift to expose to us our sinfulness. He gives us the law to show us how radically depraved we are, to reveal to us how far from him we really are, that we're not here and here's God and we have a little gap to bridge, but the gap between God and us is infinitely great and wide that we can never get across it. One of the authors I was reading this week said it so well. He said the first function of the law is to unmask us and show us we are sinners. 
That's just really stuck with me. The function of the law that God gives to us is to unmask us, to remove the mask, because we tend to wear a mask and think we're pretty good. We're pretty easily self-deceived. We look in the mirror and think, I'm a pretty moral, pretty good, pretty upstanding person. And the law unmasks that. It makes us come face to face with how sinful we really are. And friends, that is so, so good for us to have God's law unmask us and to show us where we are because it combats the deadly lie of Satan that you're okay, you're pretty good, don't worry about things, you'll be okay with God. We see the goodness of the law, which Paul writes it later on in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. I want you to look ahead and say it's in Romans 7, 7. What shall we say? Is the law sin? Because the question is, is the law bad? Since we can't keep, he says, by no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. So the law exposes to us our sinfulness, it exposes to us our depravity. It's so good for us because it shows us how far we are from God. Then verse 12, a few verses later in Romans 7, notice what Paul says. So the law is, what is it? Holy. What is the law? Holy. holy. We can't keep it, but it's holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous. And what's that last word there? It's good. The law was good. I can't keep the law, but it's good. You can't keep the law, but it's good. God gave it to us as a good gift to us to show us our utter inability to make us aware of a deep knowledge of our own personal sin. So how does the law make us aware of our sin? I think there's three ways the law makes us aware of our sin. I don't want to miss any of these because this is such a grace gift from God to us. Number one, the law makes us aware of sin because it shows us the nature of God. The law shows us the nature, the character of God. I think we miss this so often when we think about the law. We see the law was all the do's and do nots, but we miss the fact that the law was actually a reflection of the character of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. I want you to see this. I love how Peter describes this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so don't miss this. The commands are all about being holy, but the foundation of the commands that he who called you is holy. The law is a reflection of God's holy character. The law that God gives reflects his holiness. So when God tells us, do not lie, he's telling us to be like him, a God of truth who never lies. When he tells us to be faithful to your spouse, he's supposed to be like him, a God who is always faithful in all that he does. When he tells us not to covet, he's telling us to trust him, a God who is sovereign and good and delights in providing for his people. The law he gives us reflects his nature, his attributes, his character. And so friends, the law he gives us shows us who God is. And then it shows us how far we are from him. Because I think one thing that we miss so often in our culture, we, we see that our idea of a relationship with God is being real and deep, and it should be, but we almost treat it like a boyfriend, girlfriend, we're all excited to be in God's presence. Friends, no one in the Bible, when they see the holiness of God and encounter the holiness of God, launches the Lego movie song and say, everything is awesome, okay? No, no one does that. When they see the holiness of God, when they run into God's character's attributes, they don't be like, yay, this is so amazing, I'm in God's presence right now, I'm going to blog about it. Like, no, that's not what they do. Think about Isaiah's encounter, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Isaiah chapter 6, this text we love because we see the character of God on display. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, this Isaiah, said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2, he carries on. Above him stood the seraphim. This is incredible. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Verse 3, he carries on. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook it. The voice of him called him. The house was filled with smoke. So this is what Isaiah is seeing. He's encountering, he's seeing the character, the nature, the attributes of God on full display. So he's not pulling out his phone, taking a selfie, going, look at what I found today. That's not what he's doing here. What happens? Verse 5. But I said, woe is me, for I am lost. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Friends, when people in Scripture encounter the character, the nature, the holiness of God, it breaks them because they see who God is. And one of the tools of the law, one of God's grace gifts to us in the law, is the law reflects his character. So the more we read the law, the more we see the holiness of God, the more we see the greatness of God, the more we see the glory of God, and the more we understand his nature, the more we understand how far we are from him and how much we need him. So the law gives us a knowledge of our sin by showing us the nature, the attributes, the character of God. But number two, the law also shows us our sin because it shows us the will of God. It shows us the will of God. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's an amazing text that describes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. I think we have that up there for you. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Here's God's will for you. People are like, I don't know what God's will for my life is. He's like, I'm telling you, here's, your, here's my will for you. I'm holy, you go be holy. Be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16, he reiterates it. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you're struggling, what is the will of God? At the outset, the will of God is for you to be conformed to Christ's likeness, to be holy as God is holy. Friends, the law was not just a random set of rules in the Old Testament. It is a, God's revealed will for us of how we're to relate to Him in holiness and how we're to relate to one another in holiness. And the more we read the law of God, the more we understand His will for His people, and the more we understand, friends, our sinfulness. So how does the law show us our sin, give us the knowledge of sin? We saw in Romans 3, it shows us the character of God. It shows us the will of God. And friends, number three, in my that, it shows us how far we fail. It shows us how far we fail in obeying the law of God. Remember, the standard is astronomical, perfect, perpetual obedience. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. We've looked at this many times over the last three months, but I'm going to remind us of it one more time. Matthew 22, 36, a teacher comes to Jesus and says, he's trying to trap him. What is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, verse 37, Jesus answers. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All your heart. And with how much of your soul? And with how much of your mind? He's all of it. This is the standard God gives us. Now, verse 38, Jesus continues. This is the great and first commandment, but he doesn't stop there. Verse 39, he carries on. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as how much? As yourself there. So the standard he's laying out for us is astronomical. We're to love God with our whole being. We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Hence, none of us can look at that and say, here's Jesus' standard. I'm good. I do that. None of us can do that. So if you go back to Romans 3, Paul concludes, go back up one verse to verse 19, right before our text for today. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that, notice this, every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth being stopped from saying what? Verse 20, what we just read, and go back to verse 3, we're stopped from saying that I'm justified because I'm good. When we look at the law, no one can say I'm okay with God because we're not. We've all fallen short one author I read this week said it this way, it's the straight edge of the law that shows how crooked we are. I thought that was a good image. The straight edge of the law shows how crooked you and I are, how far short we fall of God's standards. So God's law is holy, God's law is good, and it is good for us because it shows us God's character and our deficiency to that standard. It shows us God's will and our rebellion to his will, and it shows us our own sinfulness. Now, how in the world is that good for us? That's not something fun, is it? Again, most of the devotional books and Christian things we have framed in our houses aren't things that are telling us how awful we are as a person, how depraved we are, and how radically far from God our hearts are. But friends, this is so good for us. How so? I'm familiar with Martin Luther. He was one of the great reformers that started the Protestant Reformation. He said something that just about the law that I thought was so good. He said, the principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. 
Think about that. The principal point of the law is not to make men better, it's to make them worse. That the law was not here to help us be more moral so we can get to God. The whole point of the law is to show us how not moral we are and how unrighteous we are and how far from God we are. He goes on to say this, Luther says, That is to say, if we show with unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken. Luther doesn't hold back any words. If we show them their sin, that knowledge of their sin, will let them be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken. Why? And by this means they may be driven to seek grace. By this means they may be driven to seek grace. And so the bad news of verse 20, that no one can be justified in his sight but doing the works of the law, that bad news for us is there to humble us, to bruise us, to break us, and in Luther's words, to drive us to seek grace. To break us from self-dependency of thinking, I'm going to get to God by just doing enough good and being a moral person, being a good, upstanding citizen, all those things. To say to us, we can't do it, is to break us so that we find the only source of hope we need. In Luther's words, that we may be driven to seek grace and come to the blessed Christ. And the words of our answer today is to show us our desperate need for a Savior. Which is exactly where Paul goes next in verse 21. And though Paul's introducing you thought, we see that big heading break in your Bible. Remember when Paul wrote this? There were no heading breaks there. In fact, when Paul wrote this, he didn't put spaces between words. They were just all run together. So we see this clear break here. But Paul, it's a natural outflow. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. So verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to us. He's showing us our need for a Savior. He says, but now something is changing. This dilemma you and I have that we cannot get to God by doing the law, that we can't be justified in our own sight and our own strength. This problem we have has a solution. But the solution, he says here, is, notice this phrase in verse 20, is apart from the law. That our answer is not just trying harder to obey the law. The answer is not what I call that white-knuckle determination. I'm going to grab onto the law and I'm going to try harder, harder, harder and get right with God. He says the answer that you need, the solution to your dilemma, is completely apart from the law. And where is it found? Notice this phrase in verse 21. This is a massively significant phrase. But now the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is a phrase in Scripture to describe how God saves wretched sinners like us. It's a phrase that describes how God saves wretched sinners like us. What does this phrase, the righteousness of God, mean? It's a phrase that tells us that God makes people righteous in his sight without compromising his own righteousness. Now, don't miss it. This is saying that God is saying, I'm going to make unrighteous people righteous, but I'm not going to compromise my own righteousness in the process. A God who's completely holy and completely perfect has found a way to make unperfect, wretched, depraved people like you and me righteous without in any way compromising his own righteousness. Now, how did he do that? In his wisdom, he devised a plan that no human could ever concoct or imagine. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, you and I might become the what? The righteousness of God. That God is willing to give to us a righteousness not our own and not compromise his own righteousness. Because God is so righteous and so holy and so perfect, he cannot overlook sin. He can't be like, hey, I like CJ. I'm going to kind of ignore that part of his life. He can't do that for me. He can't do that for CJ. He can't do that for any of us. God is so holy, every sin has to be paid for. So the only way he can make us righteous without compromising his righteousness is is to have an innocent person take our place. And there is no innocent person because... We all have broken the law. So God himself comes in human flesh. He's born of a virgin. He fulfills the law that we break every day. When Jesus walked this earth, he never once broke the law in his words, 
and his thoughts, his deeds. He didn't even break it in his motivations. So all those things we looked at in the Ten Commandments over and over, which drove us back to the heart. Jesus kept every single one of them perfectly. He never, ever, ever broke the law. So when he went to the cross to die, he went as an innocent victim who could take our place. So all of my sin and your sin got put on Christ. And so when the Father looked at Christ and the wrath of God got poured out on Christ, that was the punishment you and I should have received. They got put on Christ instead. But we saw an important word last week, and that's the word imputation. Not only did our sin get put on Christ and the wrath of God get poured out, so our sins did get paid for. They weren't overlooked. They were paid for. But then all of Jesus' righteousness got taken from him and put onto our record. So when God sees us, he is righteous. Our sins have been paid for. And God's righteousness has been put on us so that we can be in his presence. How do we receive this amazing gift of the righteousness of God? Verse 22, the very next verse tells us. The righteousness of God, here's the key word, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We receive it through faith. And friends, we talked about this often in our journeys over the last several years. Faith is a belief and trust in God. It's a belief and trust in God that changes us. Faith is not, I'm praying a prayer and I'm okay. Faith is, I'm putting my confidence and my hope completely in God and in God alone. If we have true faith, it changes us. It will forever alter us because we're now in a relationship with the one who has given us his righteousness. Friends, that is a beautiful offer, and we call that the gospel, the good news. Our inability to ever work to get to God, and then God coming and making a way without compromise, his righteousness to make us righteous. Now, but there's a big caution for us here when we think about this. So often in the American church, we talk about the gospel and the good news. We see that as the entryway into Christianity, something that we need to present to the lost, and something you need to become a Christian, then we stop there. Whereas the gospel is not a one-time thing. It's not something you and I need just to get into the kingdom. The gospel is something I need every day, and you need every day as well. Because so often we, we view in American Christianity the gospel is what I do to get into the kingdom. And now that I'm in the kingdom, now I've got to work hard to try to stay with God. But that misses it, friends. My desperate need for a Savior carries on day by day. It's not just when I first trusted Christ. It is a day-by-day belief, a day-by-day trusting in the righteousness of Christ. Go back to verse 22 here. Notice something really significant I want us to miss in this verse. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, don't miss this. The word believe is present tense. This is not past tense. This is not the righteousness that has been given to us that we can never earn. The gospel for those who believed past tense, who said a prayer, got baptized, joined the church. That's not it. Here, belief is present tense. It is ongoing. It is what changes us here in this. And so if you think about this, that means that true faith lasts. That if we really are following Christ, if we really do believe in Christ, it's not a one-time point decision in my life and now I'll go live like I want. If I'm really believing in Christ, that faith is going to be continuing today and continue till the day I see Jesus face to face. This is faith, ongoing faith. But also, as we've seen over and over, faith changes us, friends. There's no concept in Scripture of me having faith in God so I don't have to go to hell and I'll go live my life like I want. Throughout Scripture, Faith is transformative. If we believed in him, it will transform us and it will change us. That means, friends, back to today's idea. I need the law every day and you need the law every day because I need Jesus every day and you need Jesus every day. The gospel and the good news of Jesus was not something I needed so I can get my out of hell free card and now go live like I want. The gospel was I am as desperately prone to head after sin today as I was when I trusted Christ at 13. And so I need Jesus today to be what we said earlier, to be holding me fast to be holding me his hands and be to changing me and giving me grace to overcome sin and grace to look to him and to delight in him. That means the law is still good for you and I as believers today because it continues to show us our desperate need for grace every day to keep having faith, to keep being held 
by Jesus. So why did God give us the law? He gave us the law to keep before us our desperate need for a Savior. Not just to show us at one point in time in our past our desperate need for a Savior, but to keep before you and I day by day, to keep before us today our need to cry out to Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. Now what do we do with this truth, friends? The idea that we need the law for our good, what do we do with this? Because if you're a follower, a believer in Christ, having faith in Jesus, rescuing you, justifying you, has so many implications. There's so many things we talk about. I want to give you three things I want to ask you to pray this week in light of this truth. Three things you can be praying and thinking on this week, asking God to do in us. If God's given us a law to keep before us our need for a Savior and our desperate condition apart from Him, I believe there's three things you and I as believers can pray for in life. Number one, let's pray for God to give us a growing desire to study His Word. Let's pray for God to give us a growing desire to study His Word. We talk about the law. We're talking about these commands. It's used broadly to mean the whole Old Testament. That means God's law, God's Word, has an important role for us. We need it to show us the nature of God. I need to remember God's attributes today as much as I did five years ago. I need to remember His attributes tomorrow when life gets busy with things. We need to keep before us the attributes, the character, the nature of God. And He's revealed it to us in His whole Word, including in His law. That means you and I need to be intentional to read His Word, to study His Word, to think about it. Not just on Sunday mornings, but all during the week to let our minds be filled with His Word. I love how King David said in Psalm 19, in the Psalms, in Psalm 19, verse 7, I want you to see this. Look at his... Ultimately, his prayer, and let this be for us uh, to, to stir our hearts for this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And that's what it does. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise a simple. Carrying on in verse 8, he goes on. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. He goes on in verse 9 to say, the fear of the Lord is clean and during forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now verse 10. He's looked at the goodness of the law of God. He says to this, more to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Friends, that needs to be our prayer. Because I can't manufacture desires for God's word, and you can't either. We can get disciplined, and that's a good thing for us. But the heart affections that long to read and study and talk about delighting the word of God, I can't make those. Those are a gift from the Holy Spirit stirring our hearts. And so let's be praying this week, friends, for God to stir our hearts with a growing desire to study the scriptures. Second thing we can pray in light of this. Let's ask God to give us a growing desire for holiness. Let's ask God to give us a growing desire for holiness. Though the law cannot get us to God, it still has an important place for us because it shows us the will of God. It shows us God's standard. It shows us what He desires for us to do. More than we have time for today, but if you go all the way down to verse 31 here in Romans 3, as Paul can, builds his argument here, he's assuming that some people are going to say, well, what, what, what's the point of the law then? Let's just throw it out. Let's get rid of it. Let's just trash that part of the Bible. We don't need that anymore if we're not under the law. But look at what he says, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by the faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, what's he saying? Well, we don't get to God through the law, but the law is important to us because it shows us the will of God. So we study the law of God to see God's will, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to give us grace to seek to obey and not to get to God, but because we love Him and we want to follow His will. Paul's going to repeat this later in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Notice what he says in Romans six fifteen here. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Again, the, the tendency is to go, okay, I can't get to God through obedience to the law, so I'm under grace, I can go do what I want to do. And he says, no, 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 you can't do that. By no means. Now, verse 17, two verses later, look at what he says, Romans six seventeen. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard teaching to which you were committed. That God is wanting to use the law of God to show us how desperately wicked we are and how much we need grace. But then to use the law of God to show us how he wants to transform us. So the Holy Spirit begins to produce in us an obedience that we can never make 
went home. So let's be praying for God to give us a growing desire for holiness. But one more prayer I want us to pray. Not only do I want us to pray for God to give us a desire for the scriptures, desire for holiness, but number three, for God to give us a growing sense of awe at his grace. For God to give us a growing sense of awe at his grace. Friends, these verses are astounding. That God looks up you and me in our losses and our sin. He would have been just to condemn us and send us to hell and make us build, bury, carry the wrath, his wrath against those sins for, our, for all of eternity. And he chose not to. He chose to take our sin upon himself. He chose to give us his righteousness. Friends, this is astounding. The gospel is absolutely astounding. And yet we yawn when we read it. We, we think about other things as we're singing about it. Our minds get so easy to distract. It's so easy to lose the sense of all that we who are enemies of God are now his friends. That we who deserve condemnation have not only been given forgiveness, but we've given eternal life. We've been given grace upon grace and every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Let's ask God to stir our hearts with a renewed sense of awe at what he has done for us. If you look ahead to Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Paul builds in some of these chapters some of the deepest theological truths in all of Scripture. When he gets to the end of it, he's not like, that was nice, let's go get a cup of coffee and think more about it. What does he do when he gets to Romans eleven thirty three? after wrestling with the depths of the gospel and our depravity and God's graciousness and all that he's done for us? He says, he says this, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Verse 34, he carries on. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsel? Verse 35, he keeps going. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Now, verse 36, he brings it together. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Do you see what Paul's doing? He is in such awe of the gospel he's been talking about for all these chapters. He's just in the middle of Romans 11, just erupts in song here and praising God for from him and through him and to him for all things, to him be the glory. He's overwhelmed in awe at the gospel that he, a person who had persecuted Christians, or he, a person who had hated the gospel, had been redeemed by Christ, and he's just overwhelmed. He's writing about it. He just launches into song. May God give us that type of awe to where we can't help but just burst into song because we're so in awe of the one who has rescued us. So friends, what can we do in light of this, this truth that what's the purpose of the law that God gave us a law to keep before us our need of a Savior? We can pray three things, I believe, as believers. That God would stir our hearts to want to read His Word more so we know Him. That God would stir our hearts to desire holiness and that God would give us greater awe in His grace. Friends, what would happen in my life and your life if we earnestly asked the Lord to do those things this week? Because God delights in answering the prayers of his children. When we go to him in desperation and say, Lord, would you give me new affections for your word? Would you give me new affections, Lord, for holiness? Would you give me new affections to be in awe of your grace? God delights in answering those things. What would happen if we earnestly saw God individually, together as our families, as a church, praying for God to do that? What is the purpose of the law, friends? God gave us the law to keep before us our desperate need of a Savior. I pray by his grace that we will not neglect reading it, studying it, talking about it, and in the process, we'll learn more of who he is and his will for our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your goodness to us. And your goodness to us, you tell us hard things that we're sinners. You tell us hard things that we're far from you. You tell us that we have no righteousness that can get to you. You tell us all these hard things because you love us. And you're breaking us from the very thing that we're so prone to do. And that is to depend on ourselves to try to get to you. To depend on ourselves to try to change and be transformed. And Lord, we can't. So we thank you for your kindness to us in giving us the law to bring us to an end of ourselves so that we might see your holiness, so we might see your character, so we might see your nature and be brought to an end of ourselves where all we can do is look to you and say, Lord Jesus, rescue me. I'm a helpless sinner. So we look to you today for that. Lord, if there's anyone who's here, who's watching online, who has been trust, trying to trust in their own efforts to get to you, been trusting in whether it's church membership or trying to be moral, trying to change or trying to be a good person, Lord, would you free them today from that bondage? They realize that all their efforts, they're really just putting themselves under a curse. 
I pray today they'll find the glory and the hope of Christ that they can be made righteous. Not because of anything they've done, but because of what you have done for them. And through that, you begin to change and transform them because your Holy Spirit is dwelling in them. Lord, would you turn their hearts to you today? Lord, for my precious brothers and sisters who make up the Gateway family, Lord, I pray for them and for me today that, Lord, you would just stir our hearts' affections on these things. Lord, we've heard these truths, some of us since childhood, become so easy to lose the wonder of these, so easy to lose marveling at your grace, even to lose what the law was here for, to brush over the Ten Commandments, to brush over these other laws and just rules and to miss how you're showing yourself to us in them. So would you give us fresh eyes to see your word this week? Would you give us new heart affections Lord, that long for you this week. And we'll just renew sense like Paul in Romans 11, that we're so overwhelmed that you have looked upon wretches like us and made us your children. You've taken us your enemies and made us your friends. That Lord, we can't help but worship you all week long, not just when we're here. So would you be transforming us, growing us, and sanctifying us, Lord, for your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning, Judge of the Secrets. Like them all, and I will confess 
Let's recite together our answer to our question to remind us of the truth and declare together what we saw today. So we'll get it back up on the screen for you. What is the purpose of the law? Let's say it together. God gave us the law to keep before us our desperate need for a Savior. And Father, we pray that your word would do that in our hearts this week. That we see how much we need you every day. And that you would draw us close to yourself. That we find the joy of abiding with you and you abiding with us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family members. Please remember to go pick up your kids and return to the sanctuary for our business meeting in about five minutes. Thank you.